Hi, this is Emily Saliers from Indigo Girls, and you're listening to Rainbow Country. The views and opinions expressed on the following program are those of the producers and or the persons appearing on the program. Hi, this is Carol Pope. Hi, I'm Garrett Conley, author of Boy Erased, a memoir. Hi, I'm Lorraine Segato. Hi, I'm Gord Depp of the Spoons. You're listening to Rainbow Country with Mark Tara. Welcome to a special episode of Rainbow Country. As I like to call it, a little gay radio show working to give voice to the LGBT community and beyond. As always, I am your tour guide through Rainbow Country. I'm producer and host, Mark Tara. By the way, Rainbow Country originates from The Sound of Your City, CIUT-FM in Toronto, and now proudly in syndication on Bombshell Radio, a 24-7 streaming outlet, and CKUW-FM, Winnipeg, The Juice, CJUC-FM, Whitehorse, plus joining Rainbow Country as of August, CKCU-FM, Ottawa, and Canoe-FM, CKHA-FM, Halliburton, Ontario's Cottage Country. Who knew? Well, it's because of you, listening, streaming, downloading, that has taken this little gay program and turned it into a syndicated radio show and a number one LGBT podcast. So wherever, however you may be listening, welcome on board this special episode of Rainbow Country. Random question. Do you remember ushering in 2020? Do you remember New Year's Eve? Who would have thought, ringing in this year, we would be ushering in one of the most challenging years we've ever faced? COVID-19, a global pandemic. We self-isolate, we socially distance, we wear face coverings. And then, a global reckoning on race, bringing to light Issues of race relations, systematic racism facing Black, Indigenous, and people of color. I thought to myself, what can I do? What can I do to meet this moment in history that we're living through? So I thought, let me do a special episode that will be informative, uplifting, entertaining. But ultimately, Have us think about what we can do when it comes to race relations moving forward. That brings me to my guest. She is a Grammy Award-winning and two-time Oscar-nominated singer, songwriter, performer, dancer, Saida Garrett. She has had a number of worldwide hits that have become classics, including... The 1984 R&B number two hit, Don't Look Any Further, a duet 
with Dennis Edwards. And the number one worldwide smash that she co-wrote, Michael Jackson's Man in the Mirror. As well as this next song, the number one hit duet she recorded with Michael Jackson. Up next, Saida Garrett. Each time the wind blows, I hear your voice so I call your name. Whispers and morning, our love is dawning. Heaven's glad you came. You know how I feel, this thing can't go wrong. I'm so proud to say I love you. Your love's got me high, I long to get by This time is forever, love is the answer I hear your voice now, you are my choice now The love we bring Heaven's in my heart, at your call I hear hearts And angels sing, you know Just can't hold on, I feel 
Saida Garrett. Hi, how are you? I am painfully fabulous. <laughs> so good, I can't stand it. <laughs> Fantastic. First of all, I always say this, but thank you for being here to have your voice, your story be heard by the LGBT community and beyond. So thank you so much for that. First of You're foremost. welcome. You're welcome. Okay, so where to start? I want to start here with you. Don't start with me, Mark. Don't you start with me. Okay. I'm kidding. Can you hear this? (laughs) Did you hear that? Yes. Okay. Do you know what that is? No. That is your 1988 album. How am I supposed to know what the hell? Because I'm hitting it, girl. I'm hitting the vinyl. I own it. Can I say, can I say, uh, I refuse to be loose. I love that. <laughs> In any kind of way. Yes. Lord have mercy. Bless your heart. You put a smile on my face with that one. <laughs> yeah. I, and it's yeah. not true. I heard about you, Mark Tower. You do not refuse to be loose. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't easy, but I'm not cheap. I heard that. <laughs> Saida Garrett, Kiss of Life, your 1988 album. Aww. There's... There's a a story behind this, so please allow me to share this. Please. Because this is essentially how uh, we're connecting right now. All right. I have this album, and then uh, a few months ago, I had on an artist, a producer, a songwriter by the name of uh, Chris Burkett, mm-hmm. and he co-wrote your song, Kiss of Life. Oh, wow. You know, I've never met him. So then I had him on the show, and then I thought to myself, after the interview, I thought to myself, let me reach out to Saida Garrett to see if she'll come on to Rainbow Country. And here we are. Bada bing! I know. Crazy, eh? You make things happen. <laughs> you speak things into existence. I think a lot of people do, whether they recognize it or not. Or not. You're right. You're right. So that was nineteen eighty. Negative or positive. Yes. Yes. 1988. Mm-hmm. We're now in 2020. You have a new single. Yes. The new Frontier, Say yes. Their Names. What's the message behind this new single? I guess it's just a, a reckoning, a, 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 a coming to Jesus type moment. It's a, it's a, a reveal, a, a mirror on what's happening. I wrote the original, this song was written a few years ago with uh, Trayvon Martin and Freddie Gray's names in place of Breonna Taylor and um, George Floyd. Mm -hmm. And the sad part is I just had to change a couple of verses, but the chorus is the same and the B section is the same, which means we have the same issue years later. Nothing Mm -hmm. has been done. Uh, And I think what's changing I feel this is a, this change is, is worldwide. 
And it's, it's not a moment. It's a movement. Yes. And I mm-hmm. not, I did not have that. Uh, I, I've never felt this politically charged in my life, in my adult life. I've never felt, uh, like I had more to say. I've never witnessed what I've witnessed in these videos and, and uh, digital record, phone recordings of these criminal acts by these policemen. We are in an age now, this isn't a new phenomenon, but we're in an age now where we can record it. Anybody can record it. And sure. no one is, um, the people in power and the people that are abusing their powers are not used to being called out are not used to being shown what they're doing to others and being uh, uh, ridiculed and called out on it. They're not used to that. This is a new phenomenon and it is changing, literally changing the world. Yeah, absolutely. So I wrote this song to speak to that. I wrote Mm -hmm. this song to bring awareness to that. I wrote this song for the listener Mm-hmm. to think about that how do you see this song is it a protest song is it, it is. a conscious and a peace song it's a protest and a peace song all at once mm-hmm. because the protest part is in the first couple of verses where i'm mm-hmm. talking about george floyd and brianna taylor and what happened to them and the second part is the bridge is 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 hope don't give up hope and don't dare surrender th- th- those are hopeful words Mm-hmm. So I, I tell it like it is in the beginning, and then I say what we can do in the end. Greatness happens even though there's oppression. Ghetto, that's Ghetto. right. G H E T T O. Featuring Common, a powerful, another powerful song Thank you. of yours. So here's the question: Is it important for you to use your voice, your talents, your abilities? to help raise consciousness. Is this a goal of yours? That's what an artist does. An artist raises awareness through their art. My art is music and song. So I'm trying to raise awareness about problems that I see mm-hmm. through music and song because that that's what artists do. Well said. Thanks. Okay, let's go back in time a bit. The late 70s, I believe, washing your car while listening to one of your favorite radio stations. And you call... 1988, yes. You you ended up calling in to see if legendary artist Sergio Mendez needed any backup singers. Fast forward some 30 plus years, you ended up being nominated for the second time for an Oscar with Sergio Mendez for Best Original Song in the 2012 film Real in Rio, your first well, nomination called Rio. The, the song was called Real in Rio. The film okay. was called Rio. Yes. And your first nomination was 2007. Mm-hmm. Love you, I do. Dream Girls, Jennifer Hudson, and you were nominated for an Oscar for that song, but you also won a Grammy for that. Yes. Yes. Dreams come true 
Grammy, if you can believe that, um, there were some weird rules with regards to the uh, when Man in the Mirror was out. Uh, otherwise, I'm sure it would have been nominated for a Grammy. But um, uh, yeah, um, um, I've been on projects where there was I've, I didn't do 50 percent of the entire project. So I wasn't eligible to be uh, to get an actual statuette. But I've been, I have Grammy certificates up the wazoo. But I, this, the Love You I Do was my first actual statuette. So where do you keep it? It is on the mantle, actually <laughs> on the bookshelf. <laughs> and an acrylic case so it doesn't get dirty and dusty. Yeah. So when you, when you won the Grammy, how did that make you feel? Oh, it, knowing that I was nominated for it and winning it was a great thing, but mm-hmm. it was a horrible, horrible night. <sighs> I had a friend who thought she could arrange all the transportation and she hired this limo driver who thought she knew better the directions than those that were given to us by the Grammy officials. She went her own way. We were stuck on block streets. Um, I ended up running a block, having her park the car, let me out and run a block up to the actual venue, huffing and puffing, got to my seat, just missed my Grammy announcement. Oh, you're kidding. I sat in my seat and I just cried. I just cried. Oh, my God. It was horrible. You didn't even get up on stage or anything. No, but I did take a picture after the fact. After it was over, I took a picture with Jimmy Jam, you know, for the record. But Mm -hmm. it was horrible. My co-writer was on stage saying, well, I don't know where she is, but I'll accept hers for her and give, you know, that's insane. Wow. So that was my first Grammy experience, and it was an horrific one. Yeah. Oh. But the Grammy is nice, you know. I can imagine. I, I can, don't think I, about that when I look at it, so <laughs> I'm good. Oh, 
1986. Mm-hmm. True Blue. You oh, started yeah. you started a a long working relationship with Madonna. Yes. Going from essentially the 80s to the 2000s. Can you believe that? How did you end up meeting Madonna in the first place? How did that come about? I am, uh, at the time I was like the background singer, one of the uh, most hired background singers. And uh, Stephen Bray was producing Madonna's album. And uh, I've written uh, or, and done demos with, with uh, Stephen before. So he called me to do this background session for Madonna. So she was there and I met her and uh, oh my God, she was stunning. She was just ridiculously beautiful with those huge eyes and long lashes, top and bottom. She was just the most gorgeous thing. And so I met her and um, we're look, Stephen said, so I want you to um, uh, hire some singers for, this, for the background for this song, True Blue. I said, okay. So I thought of one singer that I really like to blend with because we, we don't even have to speak. We know how to sing together and, and harmonize very well, blend very well. And I was trying to think of who else I could add to this mix. And I looked at Madonna. I said, you want to sing on this? She said, sure. So I hired Madonna to sing on her record for this background part. <laughs> and we just did it. And that's how I met her. And many years later, I was um, having uh, lunch at Matsuhisa, famous Japanese restaurant in Los Angeles. And <clears throat> I was in the private dining area, seats about six people. It was just me. And in walked Madonna and Guy Ritchie. So um, I said, Madonna said, hey, when, you know, what's going on? I said, what's happening, Mrs. Ritchie? And uh, they both laugh. And Madonna says, uh, so what are you doing? And I said, and I quote, I'd heard that there was some issues with one of the background singers uh, long, long ago, I said. And then I said to her, when she said, so what are you doing? I said, waiting for your background singer to mess up so I can take her place. <laughs> Madonna called me like two years later and said, well, I'm going out on the road and uh, you want to go? So I went and I did the uh, reinvention, the reinvention tour, tour with her. Yeah. You know and what? That woman, she is the hardest working artist that I have ever met, mm-hmm. that I've ever worked with. She knows she's not the best dancer. She knows she's not the best singer and has said as much to me and in interviews. But she also knows she has to work hard to get it done. And she has no qualms about putting the work in. Hmm. So I, I admire her work ethic. Madonna's a beast when it comes to um, her grind. She's no joke. So from one legend that you worked with to another legend, Quincy Jones. Yes. And, and did you originally sign with Quincy Jones for a, a, a publishing deal? 
I originally auditioned for mm-hmm. a group that Quincy Jones was putting together. Okay. And I think what he wanted to was uh, take six or a band or a, a group of people. He wanted to re- uh, do the modern day fifth dimension mm-hmm. or the modern day uh, uh, Manhattan transfer. So just five, four or five singers that sang together or that he could put together to sing together and make a group. So I auditioned. And over the course of like nine or 10 months, I would get this letter. And the first letter was like, congratulations, you're one of 800, I mean, one of 500 in Quincy Jones's blah, 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 blah. Um, Quincy told me later that over 800 people auditioned, but it went from 500 over the, I'd get a letter every month or so. And I wish to this day that I'd saved those letters, but I didn't. So, um, that said, you know, one of 500, one of 250, one of 100, uh, you're still in the running, one of 50, 25, uh, 15, 10, five. Then it ended up being me and three guys, the four of us. And we were called Deco. And we did one project, and that was the movie soundtrack from Sidney Poitier's directorial debut, a film called Fast Forward. And that was the only record that we did together. And from that, I did a dance record that Jellybean Benitez produced and remixed, I think. And it became a number one dance record. And it's like a club hit to this day. It's called Do You Want It Right Now? I want So that was the first single from this movie. And I, I still wasn't in the group yet, but once, no, yes, I was. That was our first project. That's right. That was our first project. And once that uh, sort of came and went, the other part of that deal was I wanted, it was an artist deal, but it was coupled with a publishing deal. And I wasn't a songwriter. I was a, I wrote poems but I'd never written a song. So I, I said, no, I don't want the publishing deal. I just want the artist part. And the guys were like, fine. So they took their contracts to Quincy and he sort of shuffled the papers on his desk and said, where's, where's Saida's contract? And they said, oh, she didn't, she didn't want to sign. She, she just wants the artist part. He said, you know what? He pushed their contracts back across the table. And he said, you either all sign or nobody signs. Next thing I know, Aida, you better open this door and sign this contract. (laughs) (laughs) When three large black men tell you to sign, you sign. So I signed the contract and then I set about the, the, the job of learning my new craft. I didn't want to be on the business end of a, of a contractual dispute with Quincy Jones. So I wanted to fulfill my contractual obligation and write these, let's say it was 12 songs in this year for this year. And Quincy only counted as a song, what he owned a hundred percent of as a, as a publisher. And 
I don't ever write 100% of any song. So if, if the group had to write 12 songs in this year, that means I had to write 24. And don't let three people be in the room or, you know, my, my percentage goes down and, and then I have more and more songs. to. So I didn't want to, I, I was busy about learning what I needed to do to fulfill this contractual obligation. So that's what I did. And the guys just sort of cast their check. And after a year, they were dropped. And I stayed on signed to Quincy Jones for seven years and then signed to a publishing company that he recommended me to for seven more. So I, you know... For me, it, it was one of the best things that has ever happened to me, meeting this man. He's changed my life in so many wonderful ways. And to this day, every year, I don't know what's going to happen this year, but we spend Christmas and Thanksgiving dinner at his house with the, oh. he and his family. And you never know who's going to show up, child. Mm, it's crazy. 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 Yeah. So there you are working with, with Quincy Jones. How did you... How did Man in the Mirror come about? Um, I was signed to Quincy Jones's publishing company as a songwriter for about two years when he had this meeting of the songwriters on the West Coast. I think there were about six or eight of us at the time. And the meeting was at his house. And I showed up a little late. You know, meeting was in full swing. And he sort of tracked me across the room with his eyes. And, you know, and then he said, uh, as I was saying before, I was so rudely interrupted, you know, and I'm just trying to shrink into the carpet, you know, just trying to melt into the wallpaper right now. So I, I, I just took some copious notes about what he, he wanted. He said, we're, you know, I'm, we're finishing up Michael's album. We need one more song to sort of round out the album. He didn't really know what he wanted. He didn't know if it was going to be up-tempo or mid-tempo or a dance. He, did, he had no idea. He just said, I want a hit. That's what he said. So uh, I took some notes and I went to Glenn Ballard, whom I had only sung demos for before, but I loved his songwriting. When I sang his demos, I just loved his songs. I just, I, and I, 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 I thought of this as an opportunity to just sort of get in with him. So we, we sat down uh, to write this song and he said, well, what does Quincy, Quincy want? I said, I don't really know. He just said, well, does he want mid-tempo? Up to, I don't know. He said, well, let's just see what we come up with. So he gets up from his seat and he goes over to the keyboard. And while he's doing that, I'm just sort of get setting up my writing stuff, my notebook, my, my pencils, my recorder, all my stuff. And I'm looking through my lyric book. So I start flipping through the lyric book. And he turns on the keyboard and he starts playing. While he's playing that, just to get a sound on the keyboard, I'm flipping through this book and the phrase man in the mirror literally jumps off the page. I can almost see it. It it pop it it just I was just drawn as soon as I flipped the page, I went to those words. Cut to two years before that day at Glenn's house. I'm at another uh, writer's house, this amazing jazz pianist named uh, John Beasley. And we're writing this song. And I thought we were, everything was going well. But evidently I was wrong because the phone rang and he picked up the phone and began this very banal conversation. And he said, 
Shimata said, so what are you doing? And he said, oh, nothing. I'm just, and I'm sitting in the corner seething. He's saying he's not doing nothing when we're trying to write the song and he should have let the machine pick up the phone anyway. So I was already perturbed by the interruption. So I, I listened while I'm flipping through my lyric book. I listened and he said, the man, what man? And I don't know what she said, but he said, oh, the man in the mirror. I wrote down the words, man in the mirror. Two years later, I'm at Glenn's house. The phrase pops off the page. I cannot get it out quick enough as I write these lyrics that are just pouring out of me. The first verse and the first chorus of Man in the Mirror came out in like 10, 12 minutes. We were done with the first chorus and first uh, verse. Glenn said to me, it was Wednesday. He said to me, you go home and finish the lyric. I will finish this track. We'll demo this song on Friday. We demoed the song, but we finished the demo after the Quest publishing offices closed. Something in me said, I do not want to wait until Monday for Quincy to hear this song. Now, I'd never called Quincy's house before, but I felt it important enough since I knew the offices was, were closed. I knew th this was the only way I could reach him, so I called the house. He's in the middle of this meeting, he says. I said, Quincy, we have this song that Glenn and I wrote. He said, okay, so uh, take it, uh, just send it to the office. I'll hear it on Monday or Tuesday. I said, Quincy, can't you just, can't you just let me just drop it by? No, Sid, I got 12 suits at my dining room table. I'm in, I'm in a meeting. Quincy, can't you? Okay, let me just share with you right quick. Quincy has six daughters, right? So he knew this little conversation we were having was futile. So he said, okay, bring it. And he hung up the phone. So I came to his house with this cassette and I knocked on the door and the housekeeper opens the door and uh, she calls Quincy from the dining room. The dining room door is open, which you could see from the, the, the front door in this house he used to live in. Around his dining room table were 12 suits, just like he said. They are looking up at me like they didn't say this, but the look was like as they looked at their imaginary or or real watches <laughs> like this must be some imp really important because you are interrupting a good meet. <laughs> Who is this? Is it, you know, all that was all over all their faces. Right. Mm. So I said to Quincy, oh, the only thing, you know, I, I just want you to just just let me know. Just let me know. You know, just get back with me and let me know what you think. Because he said, all right. All right. He closed the door. I go home, two, three hours later, I'm making dinner for myself or whatever. The phone rings and Quincy said, and I quote, he said, Sid, this is the best song I've heard in 10 years. Oh. I'm like, yes, and I'm just <laughs> loving best song in 10 years. Best, And he's still talking, he's still talking and he says, Stop. I don't really... I'm still living in my moment right now. Mm -hmm. And I know he's talking and I kind of hear him say something like, I don't know. Michael's been in the studio with me for two and a half years. He has yet to record an outside song. I don't know. But don't worry, Sid. If Michael doesn't do it on his album, 
I'll record it with James Ingram on my album. Okay, I love James Ingram just as much as the next guy, but Michael Jackson, James Ingram, Michael Jackson, <laughs> James, you know, it's no comparison, but I had to just let it go. Mm-hmm. I had to let that go. That was not in my control. Let it go, whatever. Next thing I know, two, three days later, Quincy is calling me from Westlake Studios. Mm-hmm. And he says to me, and I quote, Sid, we in the studio recording your old piece of song. I was like, yes! <laughs> and I'm reveling in like, they're in the studio, they're recording it, it's so great. And I don't hear, he said, but Michael has, it's, it's like, you know when, when Charlie Brown's teacher talks? That's yes. All was, that's all I was hearing. I didn't really get words, but I heard him say something about Michael loves the song, but he wants the chorus to be, hold on. And then I hear, and Quincy comes back to the phone and says, and Michael really wants you to bring home the the notion of, hold on, Sid. Next thing I hear is, and Quincy gets back on the phone and said, Sid, hold on a minute. Quincy Jones then puts, Michael Joseph Jackson on the phone. Now, I don't know about you, Mark, but when I was coming up, Michael was my husband. Okay. (laughs) Of the Jackson Five, my other cousins (laughs) had Tito and Jermaine, but Michael was my husband, right? So Mm -hmm. in my mind, I'm on the phone with my husband. Of course. Yes. But I didn't, I wanted to be the antithesis of every other fan that was Michael Jackson's. Mm. Every, th- every day he's like, oh my God, Michael. people are crying. I was not going to be that person. I wanted to be the antithesis of fandom. So I got on the phone with my husband and I said, I went straight hotel operator. I said, how could I help you? <laughs> of course, first, like a good wife says. You know what I'm saying? The first thing, no, that's just in my mind. But outside, I'm just, I'm a, I'm a songwriter and I'm here to do some business. But yes. he's not my husband at that point. But in my mind, I'm screaming, I'm yelling, my heart is palpitating because I'm on the phone with Michael Joseph freaking Jackson, right? So he, he says, uh, the first thing he says to me is, I love your song. Oh. I'm like, thanks. The second thing Michael Jackson says to me is, and I love your voice. I was like, thanks. And then he starts telling me, you know, something about what he was from the song. But in my little brain, and I don't even know where I got the audacity. It's that same chick that got the audacity to ask Sergio, was he looking for singers? Yes. I said to myself, you know what? I don't want Michael Jackson to have to worry about being a co-writer on this song. I don't want him to have to worry about writing lyrics when I can just write six different stanzas for him to choose from. And that's what I did. And he ended up choosing, you got to get it right while you got the time. Because when you close your heart, then you close your mind. The original demo of Man in the Mirror had no double chorus. 
no double, that section was not there. So I had to write it. And um, when I met him, he uh, was in the studio with Quincy and Quincy called me over. I didn't know he was in the studio. I thought it was just Quincy and Bruce Swedeen, like the mm-hmm. most incredible engineer on the planet. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was Quincy and Bruce uh, at the studio. And Quincy said, you know, this song is a little bit too high. The key's too high for Michael. Uh, we need you to come and uh, sing it in the in lower key. I'm like, cool. So I go to the studio and I walk in and it's Bruce Sweetie, Quincy Jones, and my husband. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. But I, you know, all this internal, I still wanted to be cool as a cucumber. Mm-hmm. I did not want to be fangirl. So uh, I met him and um, then I made my way into the booth to sing uh, in the new key. And I noticed that Michael was following me into the studio mm-hmm. so i kind of turned over my shoulder and like what 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 are you, what are you doing what, what what's going on he had this huge it was the 80s so he had a huge video camera mm. the size of a like a boom box on his shoulder videoing me going and i'm like what are you doing he said i want to record you singing this song i said why yeah he said <laughs> Because I want to sing it like you. Oh. I said, great, Mike. All my friends are going to believe me when I tell them he wants to sing it like me. <laughs> so I just sort of, that was a moment between us who were in the mm. studio. And I thought it would stay that way until I saw um, Spike Lee's documentary where you actually see Michael following me into the booth with the video camera on his shoulder because there's a mirrored wall in that studio. Mm. And you actually see the man in the mirror filming the man in the mirror being sung by the man in the mirror. (laughs) It's insane. It's insane. But I thought that was a moment that I was just going to have of my own. I never told anybody about it. Because like like I said, who's going to believe me (laughs) when I tell them? But yeah, when when that... uh, documentary came out it was just such a blessing to see that it was great mm. so yeah powerful yeah power and that song changed your life oh in so many ways oh god it's a, that song is my introduction to to a, many great things that have happened to me in my life and events mm-hmm. that i've been invited to because of that song and because of my relationship with uh, quincy or michael or mm. you know it's just um Awesome. I I just am just so blessed and so pleased that I've found my my thing. You know, a lot of people don't find their thing for a long time. Yeah. I finally found my thing and I'm I'm doing what makes me happy every day. And it's just a beautiful thing. And then COVID happened. Mm. (laughs) A whole new world. Yeah, we're going to need one. Anyway. (laughs) Uh, so, so getting back to your your current track, yes, the new frontier. Say their names. Say yes. their say their names. Ultimately, Saida Garrett, what do you want the listener to come away with after they've heard your? Track? First of all, if you're not te- in t- either in fully engaged in crying your eyes out, mm. or at least tearful, you have a cold black heart. <laughs> <laughs> um, this song is so emotional 
let me just share with you whenever I sing it, if I'm thinking about what I'm saying, mm-hmm. I cannot not cry. Mm. Even during rehearsal, I can't, if I'm thinking about the words, I can't not cry. So it's just a very emotional song for me. And mm-hmm. I hope that it has wings. I hope it has a life of its own. And I hope its power is magnified as it is sent out into the world and heard by person after person and touched heart after heart. Yeah. It's a beautiful song. Thank you. It's a beautiful song. Co-written by my dear, uh, an amazing uh, guitar uh, player, master, Michael Fish Herring, who has tour- used to, was one of Prince's guitarists and toured mm-hmm. with New Power Generation and uh, is now on tour with Christina Aguilara when she, when she tours. But he's just um, an underrated songwriter and an awesome guitar player. So I love writing with him. So we mm-hmm. wrote this song, like I said, several years ago. And just um, added some new names. Yeah. Crazy. Unfortunate. Yeah, yeah, very unfortunate. Yeah. So, Saida Garrett, what's coming up next for you? I don't know about next, but what I'm working on now <laughs> is um, uh, the musical of the, the film, uh, a musical adaptation of the film The Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith. And I'm really excited because I'm doing the lyrics. And uh, I'm I'm happy with the product that we've done so far. But now Broadway is, I don't know what's going to happen. So that's why I said, I don't know what next. But um, what also is happening for me that I'm so, so stoked about is I was just hired to write songs for Netflix's Dear White People. Okay. I'm really, really stoked about that. So between Dear White People and The Pursuit of Happiness, I think I have the people of color pretty much uh, surrounded here. I think I'm good. I'm good on the, uh, international, uh, inclusion thing. Yeah. Yeah. Saida Garrett, I have to say thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being on the show. Mark Tara, this has been relatively painless. Thank you so much. Well, they rallied up in Prince Town. Another cop's excessive force. When the, the protest turned to riots burn for the death of George Floyd. Now the, the people won't be silent. And the, the city won't be calm. Another young black male who's dead or jailed. The endangered list goes on. Oh, when will there be justice? When will there be peace? When will we see love as you and me? And when will there be kindness on the new frontier? Ending Breonna Taylor's life 
just heard Saida Garrett's new single, The New Frontier, Say Their Names. A beautiful song with a powerful message. For more on this world-class talent, Saida.com. Don't forget to keep up to date with all things country, rainbow country. Follow me on socials at Mark Tara Music. The podcast for Rainbow Country is available on all major platforms. The official Rainbow Country playlist is out on Spotify. And of course, everything is hooked up at marktara.com. So, where do we go from here when it comes to race and race relations? In my humble opinion, honestly, lasting change comes from within from within you, from within me, from within the person looking back in the mirror. I'm gonna make a change for once in my life. It's gonna feel real good make a difference, gonna make it right, as I turn up the collarbone, my favorite winter coat, this wind is blowing my mind, I see the kids in the street, but not enough to eat, who am I to be blind, pretending not to see them?
I'm Saida Garrett, co-writer of Michael Jackson's Man in the Mirror, and you're listening to Rainbow Country with Mr. Mark Tara. Bill 7. To ban discrimination in employment, government services, and housing, based on a person's sexual orientation, was up for a vote at Queen's Park. Most NDP and Liberal MPPs supported the bill, but without some progressive conservative legislators' backing, a divisive split could rack the province. Four PCs decided to break party ranks to vote with their conscience and support Bill 7. Cabinet Minister and MPP Dennis Timbrell did it to show solidarity for his beloved brother, the well-known drag queen, Rusty Ryan. And for me, a gay politician who was not yet out, I had to take a stand. We were known as the Gang of Four. I'm former Cabinet Minister and MPP Phil Gillies. The date, December 2nd, 1986, when LGBT rights came to Ontario. Hi, this is Police Constable Danielle Botno, also known as LGBT Cop, and you're listening to Rainbow Country with Mark Tara. So this is Hour 2 of Rainbow Country, where I feature music from LGBT artists, independent artists, plus voices that you know and love in classic disco, classic 80s, classic house. So if you stay with me, if you stick with me, I hope you think I'm bringing you music worth hearing. Starting off Hour 2, a three-song disco set.
Do you want to funk? Dance? You make me feel material. A three-song Sylvester set. A three-song disco set featuring the classic. The classic. In my humble opinion, iconic Sylvester. By the way, just so that you know, his backing vocalists were uh, two ladies, uh, originally known as Two Tons of Fun, and then became the Weather Girls, Martha Wash, Zora Armstead. They were Sylvester's backing vocalists. Up next, a three-song R&B set. My stimulations, what I want from you, you know. 
see heaven Heaven And angels They do fly All around us They're here for us In the clouds I see turquoise amber souls Calling to the world Take my hand No one shall pass Without the day What happened to your heartbeat? Ask yourself the questions of why. Why does it burn? Why does it burn you inside? Something else is going in this line. Who will say? All in my mind. Together is where I want to be. 
and who will save the world? A new track from multi-Juno Award winner, R&B songstress, jazz artist, Liberty Silver. By the way, did you know that, remember Star Search with host Ed McMahon? Liberty Silver back in the day won Star Search seven times in a row was part of Canada's answer to Ethiopian famine relief with Northern Lights, Tears Are Not Enough. You can find out more about Liberty Silver on Facebook. Up next, a three-song pop rock set. Living like there's no tomorrow I had a dream and then I chased it And if I could I'd do it over For all the sweetness that I've tasted But sometimes living don't come easy It's like you're walking underwater One day you're feeling like you're I'm feeling low Yeah. Ooh. 
I'm not as innocent as I used to be And I probably care too much what you think of me And it takes too much wine to put my mind at ease I know, I know But what if the whole wide world was looking up to me Hanging on every word of my philosophy Could I spend all my life trying to set them free I don't know I don't know So call out your message, your words Maybe you'll get to be heard Maybe get what you deserve Maybe this life ain't enough Maybe we're down on our luck And we'll never give up All I know is we gotta stand Say a blissful life is a fantasy And we see far more strife than we see empathy We know that there's more to love than just you and me We know, yeah we know Storm 
When it breaks, you wake and it's shaking you straight to the core. Set all the scars. Find a way to escape. If anything, know that these scars are a badge that you bear, my friend. The pain you feel now turns to strength in the end. But still, you feel Have sailed low. That is their new track. Ships have sailed is essentially the the brainchild of vocalist and guitarist Will Carpenter. And for more on this group, ships have sailed.com. Up next, a three song pop set. Said way too many words. 
habits Dripping like poison on your tongue You've been digging in the dirt Now your final day has come Diamonds in your eyes Don't even apologize Cause all of that hurt Is a blaze you can't outrun Boy, I know that you're regretting it I see that you ain't getting it We come to the end I'm a lying, I'm a begging Tears I can't escape Pink When I fall in love and start to blush I can't control my face Red is when I'm mad as hell With fire in my eyes Green is when my jealousy It eats me up and
A three-song Michelle Tracy set winner of, remember the show, The Launch? Well, she won season two of The Launch. For all things Tracy, michelletracy.com. To keep up to date with all things country, rainbow country, follow me on socials at Mark Tara Music. To get in touch, send me an email to give me maybe a guest suggestion. Maybe you have a show topic idea. Mark at marktara.com. The podcast for Rainbow Country is available on all major platforms. And just so that you know, Rainbow Country last week was number two on Podomatic's Gay and Lesbian Chart. And of course, everything is hooked up at marktara.com. Finally, I want to take this time to thank you for taking your time to be with me. Remember, stay safe, stay well, stay strong. Now, taking us out, one of my original tracks, The Beginning.
the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. these things.